So we'll be continuing our series, Come and See. If you have your Bibles, or you can use a pew Bible, or it'll be on the screen. Uh, we'll be in John chapter 8 again this morning, uh, continuing uh, to look through uh, the Gospel of John, walking through it, uh, you know, section by section, verse by verse, uh, and seeing why we need to come and see Jesus. Why John wants us to believe. He wants us to believe so that by believing we would have eternal life. And so John is taking us on a journey uh, of seeing who Jesus is and seeing people come to Jesus and come to understand who Jesus is. So we'll be again in John chapter 8. Now a few weeks ago, I got to give you a backstory. So a few weeks ago, Larson had her last cross-country game, meet, meet. And so I'm standing there and they're warming up and a bug like drops from out of the sky, like out of nowhere and hit, it lands on my neck. And what do you do when a bug hits you on the neck? You take your hand and you swat it. That was a bad idea. I should have swatted this side. All right? And, but something happened after the swatting of the bug. I stunk. Like something smelled. Like as soon as I hit it, I had this odor kind of permeate it from my neck in front of my face. So you know what I did? I killed a stink bug. And I just want to say, that stays with you for a while. Okay, you can't shower enough to get that smell off your clothes or your neck. And now I say that to say this. I've had encounters with stink bugs all fall. Have you noticed that they are everywhere? They're everywhere. I've never seen so many. Okay, it's crazy. So I get this picture last Sunday. Uh, now, I haven't even really begun to think about the sermon, so this is just God laying an illustration right in my lap. And my mother sends me this weird picture of a candle. I'm like, okay, that's cool. It's been burnt, but all right. And then she calls me. She's like, did you show TJ the candle? I was like, well, TJ really doesn't care about candles, but okay, I mean, I'll show it to him. But TJ knew what it was. There was a stink bug in the candle. <laughs> and you might be thinking, well, how did the stink bug get to the candle? Because that's what I was thinking. There was a little experiment that took place last Saturday with the stink bug in my parents' house. They were turning lights on and off to see if the stink bug would follow the lights. And so if it was in this room around the light, turn the light off, it would go to another room. And so after dark, you know, we were all in bed, or my mom lights candles before she went to bed, all the lights were off. This stink bug gravitated to the only source of light in the house, which was the candle. And as candles do, the stink bug was burned up. <laughs> now, don't focus on that part of going to the light as bad. That's not the part you want to focus on. But that did get me thinking all week about why do bugs travel to light. There has to be some scientific reason. So I got like a five-day free trial on nationalgeographic.com just so I could get this information I'm getting ready to share with you. Okay, and I remembered to cancel it after the five days. I just needed, I, I wanted one article, and it was about moths. And, you know, moths will travel to the light, and you, know, you get in your house, moth gets in your house, it's going to go to the source of light. Here's why. From National Geographic, moths are primarily nocturnal creatures. They, are, they have been designed and they have learned to travel by the glimmering of the moonlight. Now, a, a lot of this you have to kind of take out 24-7 electrical grid, okay, because that really has messed up the moth's navigational system. But before electricity and all this, the moths 
would navigate based on the moon and the light reflected by the moon. And so if they were wanting to go north, they would position the moon at the exact location on their bodies so they knew where they were going. If they wanted to go south, they, again, they know how to navigate based on the moonlight. So they are attracted to light because that's how they get food. That's how they navigate. That's their source of protection. It's their source of uh, navigation. Uh, it helps them feel safe. It's kind of like celestial navigation. Uh, West Wing fans in the audience will understand there's an episode called Celestial Navigation where two of the characters are lost in Connecticut and they travel trying to follow the North Star, which ends up being a plane, but that's okay. Uh, that is called Celestial Navigation. And that is how moths travel. And I don't know, you're probably sitting there like, I know we're talking about Jesus as the light today, but I really didn't need to know that much about moths because they're a nuisance. But I just want you to know that God created the moth and that the moths demonstrate a really real truth, that light's really important, that light provides them protection, light provides them a path so they know where they're going, light provides a, a, a place where they can find those where they find food, uh, and light in general is just very important. I mean, we can think about uh, the fact that we are a few weeks away from having no light after 5.30. If you notice, I've been your pastor. Like, as we get close, I always have a sermon with this because I do not like the time change. But light brings joy. I mean, I think about, you know, when the time changes and it's getting dark at 5.30, it's just kind of like, oh, I should go to bed at 5.30. But when it changes back, like it's spring, we're excited. We have more to do. Light can bring joy. Light brings life. Plants, most of them, vegetables, humans need light to survive. Light is a guiding path for us. You know, we need light to see. If you have children that play with these little, little green, brown, tan army men, and it's dark, you step on them. You need light so you can see those. Or Legos. I don't know what hurts worse, Legos or army men, but it's, it's all bad. Uh, in fact, here's how important light is to me. Uh, I... I know I've talked about driving to Shelby before and coming home in a rainy, dark night. And by the way, 85, terrible at night in the rain. I couldn't see. I didn't know if I was in the left lane, the right lane, or straddling the lanes. I couldn't see a thing. I mean, I, and I am scared to death because there's cars whizzing by me, and I'm pretty sure I'm straddling the lanes based on the number of people who honk their horns at me. So I made a decision to tuck myself into an 18-wheeler. Not, not into an 18-wheeler. Behind an 18-wheeler because he had lights. And I had lights too, but I just I don't drive well at night. And so I followed that 18-wheeler all the way to exit 68 into China Grove. Now, I don't know when you get out of the roundabouts and you're trying to turn into town, there's not a lot of light there. So I actually turned the wrong way and was going down the wrong side of the road as I'm entering into town. And some of you are like, he's never driving my kids anywhere. <laughs> and that's only at night, and I won't. Light is important, so we can see light provides safety. As a child, you might remember having a nightlight uh, because you felt safe. And light purifies. It is said that sunlight is the best disinfectant. They even make these wonderful things. I have no idea how much they cost, but you can put your cell phones in them. And it's this UV light that scans across your cell phone and it will disinfect, supposedly, all the germs on your cell phone. So light can be a form of disinfectant. So 
All of that to say light is pretty important. Light is very, very important. And that's what we're looking at as we continue John chapter 8. Jesus says that he is the light of the world. So if you'll pick up reading, we'll pick up in verse 12. Uh, In fact, I'm just going to read verse 12 where it says, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to read that again. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the second of the seven I am statements. We've already seen Jesus say that I am the bread of life. And before we really dive into it, the most important thing that I think you need to understand is the context of what Jesus is saying and where he is saying it and when he is saying it. Kind of like you know, we've been in this festival of booths for a really long time, and I, and I hope I've been able to explain how the sayings of Jesus are kind of matching the ceremonies that are taking place during the festival of booths. Well, again, we find ourselves back kind of in that setting. Now, and this is where it gets really hard to explain. Last week with the woman caught in adultery, that is probably a thematic insertion into the text. It fits really well in that point as a thematic passage, a story, but it's not the chronological story of what's happening. Okay, so when we pick back up in in verse 12, It's probably still the last day of the festival of booths, which, again, we talk about the end of chapter 7. And so now it could be like the day after the festival of booths, but but here's what you need to get in your mind. Jesus is still teaching to a very large crowd of people, and it's still in that context of the festival of booths. And here's why it's important. You know, a couple weeks ago we talked about the living water uh, ceremony where they would take jugs of water, pour it over the altar, and water would flow from it. And that represented Moses striking the rock in the wilderness, providing a satisfying, sustaining, life-giving water to the wandering Israelites. Well, there is a light ceremony that takes place during the festival of booths as well. Light, again, very, very, very important to the wandering Israelites. And so what they have is, again, if you look in verse 20 in chapter 8, Jesus is in front of the treasury. The treasury is in the court of women at the temple. That's where everybody can gather. And they would set up massive chandeliers in the court of women. I mean, just huge, gigantic chandeliers. I think, uh, I think 1632 different lights would be set up. And at night, they would take garments from the priest, used garments that the priest had wore, And they would use that to light up the temple. And that light celebration would involve a lot of dancing and a lot of singing and a lot of celebration. It is said by a lot of historians who have studied this that this was such a bright light on the temple mound that it would light up the entire city of Jerusalem. Now, in a world with no electricity, that's huge. That is a huge celebration. A big part of the celebration would be this, uh, this ceremony of singing 
where they would sing from Psalm 27.1, where it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? And they would sing it over and over and over and over again. They would just continue to repeat the Psalm 27.1. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? They never got frustrated by saying the same words over and over again because they were wanting it to penetrate deep into their hearts and their soul and their minds that the Lord is the light of their salvation. Whom should they fear? But the reason for this celebration goes back to Exodus. I just want to read a few of these passages to you. In Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud and led them on their way during the day, and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night, so they could travel at night. The Israelites, set free from Egypt, are literally guided at night by a pillar of fire from God, the light of their salvation. In Exodus 14, Then the angel of God who was going in front of the Israelite forces moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. And it came between the Egyptian army and the Israelite forces. There was a cloud and darkness. It lit up the night and neither group came near the other all night long. So again, as they're preparing to cross the Red Sea, the the pillar moves behind to protect. Light is very valuable to the people of Israel. And this is the context in which Jesus speaks. You could almost see him, maybe it's night and they've just lit the chandeliers. Maybe he's sitting and teaching in the the temple court or in the court of women near the treasury as they're lighting these massive chandeliers. Maybe he looks up and he says, hey, you know why we're celebrating this. God provided you light to guide you, provided light to protect you. He goes, I, I am the light of the world. They would have known exactly what Jesus was saying. It is in, the, the I am is a very emphatic saying. It literally reads, I, I am. That's the ego a me in the Greek. It's I Jesus, I, Jesus, I am. Which goes back to God, right? What's the name of God? God told Moses, so you tell them, I am sent you. They would have known exactly what Jesus was claiming. They would have known exactly that he was claiming his divinity, that he is the light of the world. He is the light that provides protection. He is the light that guides our path. He is the light that provides safety. He is the light that provides joy. He provides protection. He purifies. He is the light of the world. God's saving work in redemptive history was often referred to as light. In Isaiah 49.6, the prophet writes, I will also make you a prophecy about Jesus. I will make you a light for the nations to be my salvations to the ends of the earth. As the light to the nations, Jesus is opening blind eyes so that they can see. He is going into the, the prisons of our uh, the prisons that we're trapped in because of our sin. He's going into the dungeons that we've been kept in, and he's saying, "Follow me out of the darkness. 
Follow me and I will show you the right path to take. John's already referred to this in chapter 1 where he says, In him was life and that life was the light of man and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Darkness will never overcome light. It doesn't matter how dark it gets or it doesn't matter where you go in this world that may be completely pitch dark. If you strike a match, the light will always overcome darkness. When you decide to follow Jesus, you will always, he will always lead you to a place to overcome your sins, your struggles, your hardships. He is the light. Are you following the light? John goes on to say anyone, or Jesus goes on to say anyone who follows me, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. Listen, there are people and maybe, one, maybe somebody here that you're just walking around and you're stumbling through the darkness. You're stumbling, you're stubbing your toe on the wall, on the bed. You can't find your way to the next room. You're just stumbling in darkness. Now listen, there are times when you may think you have the light. As we stumble through darkness, searching for something to pull us out, there's a lot of things that we can look to. You know, drugs, it's like, oh, if I can just get my next fix, I'll be out of this darkness of my life. Alcohol, pornography, anger, malice. You can go through a whole list of things that the Bible talks about. Adultery. It's like we try to fill our life with false lights, fake lights. And you know what? Maybe they guide us for a while, but they never burn forever. Those things that we try to fill our life as false lights, eventually they'll go out and we'll bump right into a wall. And we'll just keep bumping into walls, going from one fake source to another fake source until we say Jesus is the true eternal light. And when we follow him, he never goes out. He never leads us back into darkness. He never takes us back into darkness. He wants to take us out of the darkness and not just one person or two people it says anyone who follows me will never ever walk in darkness again you have the light of life when it says will have the light of life that is an ongoing continuous phrase it's not something you'd get just once yet you know those chandeliers they're, they're going to burn out Jesus says I never burn out you're never going to go the wrong path if you follow me I'm never going to disappoint you. I'm never going to forsake you if you just follow me. Have we decided to follow Jesus out of the darkness? Have you given your life to him? Or are you still bouncing from one dark wall to the other dark wall? What the Bible tells us to repent which means turn away from the darkness and follow Jesus. But I think there's another very important application to this text. You know, we've talked a lot about it in the last several months. But when Jesus left this earth, he said, go make disciples. You know, Jesus in bodily form is not here. The light of the world is not physically here like he was when the Bible is taking place. 
And you might say, well, is the light still here? Yes. The church is the reflection of the light of Jesus. The light of Jesus should shine through the church that he has called and planted and built and put together. As a church, we are called to shine the light of Jesus into the dark corners of the world. We are to shine like a bright stars, and that means we have to represent Christ well. We represent, I mean, we seriously have to look at our life and say, is what I'm saying reflective of Jesus? Are the words that come out of my mouth in any situation reflective of what Jesus wants me to say? My actions are my actions reflections of what Jesus, when people look at me in any situation or any context, and, and by the way, you know they're looking, right? If you claim to be a Christian, you need to know the world's looking. They're like, oh, that's a Christian. Now, your pastor fails more times than he succeeds. It's not something I, you know, I've told you many, many times. I don't like referees. I fail. Okay? I, you know, I, I get put in situations and circumstances where I just, I fail. We all fail all the time. But that doesn't change the fact we still have to evaluate our life and say, are we representing Christ well? Are we speaking in a tone and using words that bring, uh, that build other people up? Are our actions representing what Christ has called us to do? And while it's very important that we proclaim the gospel with our words, your actions can turn people away from Jesus quicker than almost anything. Amen. What you say, what you do, like, well, I don't, I'm not going to follow that Jesus. Look at these people. We have to love like Jesus loved. We have to be gracious like Jesus was gracious. We have to speak truth like Jesus speaks truth, but we do it in a very loving way, in a humble way. But we are called as a church to shine the light of Jesus into the darkest parts of our community and our world. So, no matter, so as we have all these wonderful things, we're going to go serve in our community. When we're out there, are we really showing the light of Jesus? That's what we always have to ask. Are we reflecting the sun? So this morning as we think about this invitation in our closing time of worship. My first challenge to you and question to you is, have you decided to follow Jesus? Have you taken that step out of the darkness? If you have, are you reflecting the light that is guiding you out of the darkness?